Hello, this is Keith Parsons with Heavy Wireless Podcast, part of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. And today I have Mark with me talking about EduRome. Hello, hello, Mark. Hey, Keith, how's it going? Great. Well, we came to do this live. We're in person at your office at yep. News. Tell us, what is News? News uh, stands for Northeastern Utah Educational Services, a mouthful of a name, so that's why we call ourselves News. Uh, we're a service agency for a bunch of K-12 school districts. I cover about 30,000 students, um, large geographical area, north, northeastern part of the state, covering about nine school districts and five charter schools. So I'm I'm largely do IT, network engineering, security, all that stuff for them. So. Great. And so we're at your offices and we're here talking. Uh, I wanted to talk to you specifically about EduRome. Mm -hmm. So first... Tell us, what is EduRome? So EduRome um, was started in Europe. It's an um, EAP uh, 8021X authentication-based network that uh, has um, was largely started in higher, higher ed. Um, and from university to university, they had professors that were traveling. And that, so they felt there was a need to have their students to authenticate Whenever, wherever they traveled. Started in Europe, um, was a successful trial, and so it kind of has branched out. A large number of the universities across the world have it um, available for their staff and students. Um, and so it's very, very, um, very big in the higher ed world. I work uh, with higher ed somewhat. I'm, large, I'm in the K-12 space, but I have a lot of contacts in higher ed. And so we were think we were looking to do an EduRome network, or some type of network um, amongst the school districts. And somebody had the thought of just bringing EduRome, and um, that whole idea and concept that was already in place built um, down to the K twelve space. And so we piloted it. We're the first in the world to do K twelve, but ultimately what we are have settled on is. K-12, um, largely administration and staff. Um, we have a few school districts that are doing it in the schools down to the student level, but with some filtering in FERPA in the United States and other things like that. There's some issues with um, and SIPA, different rules and regulations. So do you want to describe what's FERPA and SIPA? Oh, sorry. <laughs> FERPA is some privacy laws, um, so if a student were to go to another school, um, usernames and things, there's you tracking students and things, there's potentially some issues with FERPA. The bigger issues on filtering, um, SIPA it handles filtering of students' devices. It's required here in the United States of any um, government agency education space that receives federal funding to provide internet so that you have a certain level of filtering that's required of this to be provided to all students so they can't get to pornography or other things like that. And so with EduRome at the higher ed level, that's not required at, that, at their level. And so when we brought it to K-12, that became a big concern. We've been working through a lot of the issues. There's several school districts doing it now um, for their students. Um, ultimately, we'd love to provide it for all students. So it's just figuring out those details so you said you're you have nine school districts you yes. work with mm -hmm. so in those nine they they are standing you stood up edurome as a ssid yep 
So if you have an EduRoom account, mm -hmm. you show up at one of these schools, you just automatically connect, just like if you were a staff or a student of a... Yep. So what if you went to University of Utah? I can connect. I can go to University of Milan. I can go to Amsterdam. I, I can go anywhere in the world that has EduRoom. My device will automatically notice the EduRoom SSID, and it will authenticate me to the EduRoom Edu servers, which will push my credentials to my local server. My server will say, you're a valid user, you're good to go, send it back to them, and they'll allow me on. So what if you're just an enterprise and you wanted to offer EduRoom? Is that something that a company could do if they already have 802.1x running? So with businesses, there is a, EduRoom does have a, um, they have, they've, they're changing names on it. They used to call it service provider. They've now kind of changing it to hotspot um, is the name they're, they're starting to use more. But basically it provides the, the, um, the network so you can stand it up and authenticate users at your business. The only issue with that is you can't provide your own users. They tend to be pretty locked down that the users have to be, have some tight education. And so providing accounts for your business users to roam on EduRoam across the world, that's not going to, that's, they're, they're kind of control that. Um, there is talk about um, using open roaming being, and bringing EduRoam into open roaming. It is in, it's in place. Um, it's not widely used yet, but EduRoam can roam on an open roaming network, Passpoint network and um, the the user will authenticate same same idea it's just a larger use case largely for businesses that's more of a play um, because they allow you to sign up as a business you can put your own users on it and roam on a on open roaming so network. let's say I'm, I'm a hospital mm -hmm. and I have some medical students involved I can mm -hmm. put up EduRoam mm -hmm. and any of the medical students could use it but my nurses couldn't because they're my employees. Yes. So you, you could join the EduRoom network, but yep. only as to serve others. Yep. So in K-12, uh, all students count? Staff? Yep. We can, we can stand up all our staff, students, um, just regular employees that are janitors. As long as they're affiliated with the school, um, they, they tend to um, not care so much. It's just the paperwork to get signed up is where they um, kind of mitigate and say, you are education-based, so you're good to create users. You're a restaurant, you're, you're a business. You can provide the, provide the network, but you're, you can't provide your own users on it. Did the state of Utah Education Network, do they do any help? Is, are they helping in this process? Or? Yeah. So I'm a part of Utah Education and Telehealth Network. Um, they're part, they're based... There's a state organization based here in the state of Utah um, that um, handles all of the ISPs. They handle a lot of the federal grants and funding to provide networks to the school districts. They also actually have now moved into medical, in the medical side as well, um, the telehealth side. And they, this, um, this has come from them, this came down from them, um, the idea to do K-12 started at, at U, UETN, as we call them, Utah Education Telehealth Network. Um, it started at the K-12, or at, at that level, and they brought it down to the K-12 level. And so they're a big part of it. They have, they've signed all the agreements for me, so I don't have to. 
I just sign an agreement with them and they handle all that. So, but they've largely been um, the big push. We've got a group of um, of users that we've got it pushed to UTA buses, Utah Transit Authority buses. Um, we have it on the trains in Salt Lake City. Um, we have it at a, lo a lot of the government buildings. So if these users go visit on, say, a field trip, if we can get it down to the student level, they go visit, say, the, U the state capitol building. We have Edgerome at these locations, so their device will automatically connect. They don't have to join a guest network that may or may not be secure. They have to ask for a password or it's open. These, these networks are 802.1x authenticated, and so the encryption keys are for that user, and it's, so it's a lot more secure guest network than having them join another network. So if a, if a student is at their local high school, you're running filtering. Yep. As but if they go to the state capitol and they join the same edu roam or they go up for a field trip to a university, how does that university know that they're supposed to be filtered? So the universities um, don't, this would become a big issue if you're, especially if you're traveling out of state Utah where they're not doing K-12. So ultimately the universities don't have to filter at all. How we handle it is um, typically the, the schools that are doing it for K-12 for students are, are doing it on a school-provided device where they can, all, they can provide filtering to that device so that the device is already being filtered no matter what network they go on, whether they're at home or wherever they are. So it's already being provided to that level so they can go travel to the university the device is provided. They're not, there's a couple that are playing with giving students credentials to put it on personal devices, BYOD devices. And so at that level, there's no control over filtering at all. And so that's a gray area that a lot of, some, some schools are like, no, it's not a problem. Others are like, that's a big problem. And so there's, that's, that's the big rub that we're trying to figure out at this point. Well, and being, being on the cutting edge, bringing K-12 into EduRoom. Well, the, the main reason I wanted to have you on the podcast today is to talk about EduRoom. Technically, uh, you know, the requirements for EduRoom are very specific. You can only have one SSID. Yep. And years ago, I was working with a variety of edus, and we wanted to split 2.4 from 5 gig because 2.4 sucks and 5 gig you could actually get on. And that was like... Total big no-no. You can only have one. Today, we're adding 6 gig, and the problem with 6 gig is it has WPA3 required, um, and that's going to cause a lot of issues. You've written a couple of articles, three now, uh, literally, oh, I don't know, 80, 90 pages <laughs> of documentation around this idea. So could you kind of go through and tell us what was the impetus around those articles, okay. and then we'll end up, and you know, what was the, extra, the experiments you ran, and then we'll end up talking about what, were the, what did you learn, what are okay. your observations? Okay. So back in November 2021, um, I knew 6E was coming. I knew there wasn't really APs yet, but I really wanted to start figuring out how to do Edgerome in 6 gigahertz. I had a conference I was going to present at, couldn't get a, my hands on an AP, so we didn't do it, but it got me thinking about, well, what about figuring this out? And so when I was finally able to get a hold of some, 
some APs that support six gigahertz, I immediately found that WPA3 Enterprise is required if you turn the six gigahertz radio on. It, and what it does with most vendors is it brings that WPA3 Enterprise requirement down to the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz radios. And so you cannot put transition mode, you can't do old two point or uh, WPA2 on the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz bands if you enable that 6 gigahertz radio. If it's on the same SSID? On the same SSID. If you split SSIDs, Correct. you can have each one do its own? Correct. On the same SSID, Edurome, they have strict requirements. They do not allow separate SSIDs. The SSID is Edurome with lowercase e, all lowercase, that is the requirement. And so when we set up an Edurome network on 6 gigahertz, suddenly you lose backwards compatibility with clients. The other thing with Edurome is largely it's a BYOD network. Here in the K-12 network schools, we control a lot of our devices, especially if it's, we're putting kids on it. But in higher ed, in staff networks, on our staff, it's a BYOD network. I have no control over what client they necessarily want to put it on. They have an old Android phone, hasn't been updated for several years. Is it going to work? It's questionable. And so it, it's caused a lot of concern. A lot of people are asking, is this going to work? What's my option? And so that's kind of what led me to start exploring um, 6E and Y and Edgerome and playing with it. So. Okay, so you, you, you had this idea. Well, the rule was it has to be the same SSID. The problem is that means WPA3 is on all the frequencies, which then led to not all clients can do WPA3. We had another, have another podcast episode with uh, Jennifer Minella where she did a presentation at WLPC specifically about transition mode, and they did a bunch of testing with a wide variety of devices and I think the numbers are between a quarter and 30% of devices that work with WPA2 stop working in transition mode, which makes no sense because it's still WPA2. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to WPA3. But when you look at the, the packet captures come back and it says, I support multiple versions, the client just throws up his hands up, I, I, I'm not going to even get on. So. WPA2 alone works fine. WPA2 and 3 in transition mode, some clients just aren't happy. Mm -hmm. That's just a small part. You have 2, 4, and 5, et cetera. So what was, what was your hypothesis? So any experiment, there's a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Then you do an experiment, you're going to have a... So what was your hypothesis? So my hypothesis was, well... First off, I'm, let me back up a little bit here. WPA2 and 3 are different than WPA2 Enterprise and WPA3 Enterprise. Um, WPA3 SAE, Simultaneous Authentication of Equals, that has major issues on compatibility with, with older clients. With WPA2 Enterprise and WPA3 Enterprise, the only difference is protected management frames, PMF. And so if the device supports PMF, you largely have backwards compatibility. And so turning it on on the 8021X side, 
is it, it, it handles most of it. There are the corner cases. And so ultimately my hypothesis, hypothesis was let's figure out what the issues are <laughs> um, in Prague, WO, at WLPC Prague. We had a birds of the feather um, discussion over some of these issues and we were trying to figure out what our problems were. Our other hypothesis is well, let's find clients. What clients are supported? What's, um, is there a certain, certain thing, um, issue with the clients that we can fix? How, how do we handle this? And then um, lastly, I wanted to figure out how the vendors are handling things. Um, I wanted to see, because in cert talking with certain vendors, one, one in particular would tell me, we've actually been looking at this, we've got this solved, there's a transition mode, we can do this. Um, with other vendors, they don't have that option. And so I wanted to figure out kind of which vendors um, were, were the ones that supported it, what were the different options with the different vendors. So that's kind of where I was coming from when I started writing these these posts okay good let me let me just you you brought up a good point and i just wanted to reemphasize it the the discussion i had with jennifer minnell was wpa two and three personal yep. big difference between wpa two and three enterprise you already have you're, you're doing the dot one x along the way okay so what, what was your experiment so um i started off going well let's figure out how to set this up. Originally, I had the idea of just creating multiple profiles. You create a profile that's set to WPA2. You set a profile that's set to WPA3 Enterprise on both of them and test it out and see. And um, because of, I was like, I wanted to solve this issue of not all the vendors don't have a backwards compatibility. And so when I did that, um, the roaming worked great. I didn't think about the PMKs, the, the keys, and um, fast transition mode between the two profiles. Once I set, once you turn that on, it breaks it and it doesn't work. And so my original testing was set this up, test out this um, dual dual SSID profiles, as I'm, I've been calling it, and um, works great without fast transition roaming turn on fast transition roaming, it breaks it. So I will, after that, my next um, test was, well, what exactly is going on when you do these SSID, dual SSIDs? And so um, I set up a bunch of uh, WLAN pies um, to capture multiple channels, trying to capture the traffic and see what was going on. Um, I've quickly captured the ones on fast transition roaming 802.11r it would not roam between bands at all um with the art the fast transition turned off it would so when you said dual ssid an ssid specific to six and an ssid specific correct. to five correct and then you wanted so two different ssids correct uh, now that's not how eduroms got to be they have the same the, name and so they're both, they're both, the SSID is Eduroam on both of them. Certain vendors don't support it. <laughs> okay, so your dual SSID is same SSID, 
exactly, just on a six gig only yep. radio, correct, and a separate one on a five gig only, and it did roam as long as fast roaming wasn't on. Yes, it, it's it's doing PMK caching, so it's not true roaming. It will it will authenticate to a um, AP, and then you roam away. You have to reauthenticate to the next one, and when you go back, it will have your if it's still cached, it'll have your PMK cached on the old on how, the previous how one. You, how did you trigger the roam? I would walk around and just I put it I set him up at my house. I had two uh two ubiquity radios. That was how I originally started testing with. And I set him up at my house, walked around my house, walked to the edge of the cell as far as I could out in my driveway as far as I could, trying to get it to roam. With that transition turned on it I was at neg eighty, neg eighty five and it still would not jump to the other band. It was basically being sticky, trying to stay on the on the band that it was connected to. With uh, with these dual SSIDs, it would roam just fine. Um, I would be sitting there, it would join five gigahertz, and without even moving, it would jump to six. And so something was it thought it was better. Yeah, it was it was something in his programming saying, "Oh, I'm this is a better network. I'm jumping to that." And so jump right over. I'd walk around, it would get a better signal on 5, it would jump to 5. It would I'm, just roam back and forth. I'm guessing you are not using an Apple client. It actually was Apple. It was an iPad. And you're so Okay, so you you just got me confused here now. <laughs> you had an iPad that would join a 6 gig only network. Did you try this without the same SSID on 5 gig. This so with the network how I have it set up, the AP is broadcasting Edgerom on five, Edgerom on six. So it's technically a six gigahertz SSID, but because the radio's brought the AP itself is broadcasting the five gigahertz, it would roam, it would find them both. No, because in, in my testing I found if I have a six gig only mm -hmm. with no five gig version, mm -hmm. it wouldn't go. It just wouldn't play. Yeah, I this in this testing it I, worked. I so. think I think it's because they were the exact same SSID. That's very probable. Yeah. Okay, so that was like phase one, first mm -hmm. your first document you put yep. out. What was the next phase? So the next phase, um, um, let me remind myself here. The next phase I was playing. I wanted to test out um, vendors, and so um, I knew. Uh, one vendor in particular had a solution. Um, they they can do transition mode. Um, I wanted to see what other vendors supported, and so that one required me going to friends because I don't have all the APs and <laughs> that I have six gigahertz radios. And that's why you're part of a community. <laughs> Just saying. And so I went to a bunch of my friends at other at universities and elsewhere and put out um, some requests online and found a lot of good information. Um, ultimately, at, um, so I set up my test. Since we're technically testing 2.4 and 5 gigahertz, we're trying to see ultimately on that, on those bands only, 6 gigahertz is going to be WPA3 enterprise across the board. So I didn't necessarily need an AP that supported 6 gigahertz. And so... Um, so with uh, the first vendor, Juniper Mist, um, there I have some Mist APs, um, and so I was able to test those with their configuration. I just checked the box for six gigahertz, 
and tested it out and theirs works great. Um, they have the transition mode so you can roam just fine, uh, works with full fast transition. So when you say transition mode, they're running oh, yeah. Enterprise, WPA3 Enterprise on 6 gig. Mm -hmm. And what's on the 5 gig SSID? WPA2 slash 3 trend. Okay. Yeah, transition mode. So what WPA2, WPA3 Enterprise transition mode is, um, it's the pro protected management frames are capable, but the flag for required is not required. Um, six gigahertz it is. And so um, if a client, um, from my testing, if a client connects to, is able to connect to six gigahertz, it's going to support protected management frames. So it'll connect with protected management frames required. Um, uh, are capable on the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz side, and so the roaming just works. Um, and so, what Juniper's done is they make they took my dual SSID idea with an Edgerome SSID for two or WPA2 on the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz side, and the and the WPA3 enterprise on the um, 6 gigahertz side. Instead of using dual SSIDs, they took that and made it into one profile, and then they handle the configuration saying when if it's if this beacon or these frames are going out the 2.4 or 5 gigahertz side, that flag that protect management flag is set to not required. If it's going out 6 gigahertz, required. And you didn't. Have, that's just a checkbox, and they yep. they took all of this stuff under the covers and took care yep. of it. They okay. take care of it. So that was my first test um, with that next piece. Ultimately, I wanted to see how other vendors handle it and being... And just before mm -hmm. we move on to the next vendor, yeah. on the Juniper Mist, your client could roam between two, yep. four, five, and 6, all yep. on Edge your roam because of that little required flags were set yep. as the client would. So if you had a client that was 2.4 capable but was also able to do WPA2 Enterprise, mm -hmm. It roamed fine. Yep. Great. So uh, if the client doesn't support WPA3, I found that it works just great. So that's that's my testing on down the line that it's a blog post I'm working on right now, but we'll, we'll get to it in a little bit. So, um, so my next hypothesis was let's find out if ender, other vendors have this checkbox. And or, of, of originally, nobody I was finding had it. I was looking at Cisco, I was looking at uh, Extreme, I was looking at Aruba, and nobody really had it. And then I was on Twitter and some um, somebody, I don't know his name, um, but he posted a link about how he was doing Edgerome with transition mode and 6 gigahertz, and so I was curious, and so I followed up with him. And so in Aruba 8.11, their, their newer firmware, They've released that checkbox, and so Aruba actually can do the same as Juniper Mist um, if you are running that 8.11 firmware. So it, it's it's a checkbox called backwards compatibility. Uh, enable backwards compatibility is what it what it says, and so when you check that box, it does the exact same thing as a, as Juniper Mist. It handles all the transition in the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz side with the full WPA3 enterprise on the 6 gigahertz side. So it's the exact same. It handles all the clients, allows the biggest, most backwards compatibility with clients in that regard. So 
very cool to find that out. Um, I have my buddy um, down at BYU, Brigham Young University down in Provo. Um, he has Aruba, and so he has tested it out for me. He's been playing with it with lots of different clients, trying to find clients that aren't supported. And he's like, this is, this is a big solution that's actually working. And so they're toying with the idea of actually turning it on edgeroom on six gigahertz down there for them they are they've gone full in with edgeroom they have edgeroom for everybody that's their main ssid across the board for their network and so taking that step they're really cautious but they're like this is working they're feeling comfortable about it any other vendors following along with it so that's the two that i found extreme um doesn't they actually um a court my friend um, Jan, I can't remember his last name, from University of Milan in Europe, Rist, in Italy. Rista, yeah. yeah. Um, he, uh, I've been chatting with him. He's, he's an extreme customer, and um, he, uh, he can't even do the dual SSID profiles. Um, they don't even let you make multiple profiles with the same, with the same. name. Well, there's, I, I there's can two see pieces. How you could get in. I, I can, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Going in the way back machine that could cause them definitely issues. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. definitely it, it's definitely not the recommended route to go um, doing the dual SSID. Um, it is a solution if you're really concerned about clients that you want one SSID with clients that support all three bands. And so it is it is a solution. Extreme doesn't support that. Uh, Cisco doesn't. Um, I've had uh, some people on Slack I've been talking with. They're like, I'm going to go to my rep and try and get them to push this because it's it's not it shouldn't be much work because it's just that one flag that changes on the back end. I'm sure it's way more engineering than than I understand, but um, they're trying to. There's multiple people trying to get the other vendors to go. Why don't you have this this functionality? Uh, Ubiquity doesn't have it. Um, I haven't tested really anybody else's. So you've tested Ubiquity. Can you put, you've done the dual SSID though. So mm -hmm. it doesn't block you. It just doesn't do that automatically. Yep. But could you get the, if you, if your vendor like Ubiquity allows you to have dual SSIDs, you can kind of manually set it up. Mm -hmm. Yep. The, the problem with it um, is the fast transition roaming, 802.11R. And then in your reporting, it shows up as two SSIDs. So it's a reporting issue. Um, functionality works. So as long as you don't turn on the fast transition, the functionality works. So let's let's talk about how, let's just throw ECAO in the mix. Mm -hmm. So um, you've got your Aruba up yep. with their fast transitioning with your little checkbox. If I surveyed, I would just have one SSID Correct. and it would show up with three radios. Correct. Even though it's not exactly. Uh, but I wonder how, how it's handling the fields for, is this a WPA2 or WPA3? Mm -hmm. uh, I think maybe I'll have to run down to BYU and yeah. try. <laughs> they haven't enabled it yet down there, oh, but okay. they're, they're talking about it. So <laughs> so what would you recommend to someone who's, who's currently running EduRoam on 2.4 and 5, and they're in WPA2 Enterprise, kind of what's required today, and they're thinking of 6 gig? Start off, um, I would not make the jump to 6 gigahertz right away. Um, I would start turning on transition mode because that is supported in 2.4 and 5 from uh, basically everybody I've seen. 
WPA3 enterprise transition mode exists if you're only doing 2.4 and 5. It's when you enable the 6 gigahertz radio that causes the problem. So ultimately right now I'd turn it on. Um, It works. Works great. Um, It has a very, very large um, support across the board for most clients are going to either join, if they don't support WPA3, they're going to join with WPA2 Enterprise. And so at this point, um, highly recommended that you, you turn it on um, for your, even for your edge room network as is right now. In preparation for the 6 gigahertz, be aware that this, with, of these issues. Um, and so I wouldn't recommend going full 6 gigahertz at this point unless you are probably with those two vendors, Juniper or Mist or Aruma, um, until the market kind of learns um, learns right, right, right along with the rest of us. We're all kind of learning how this all works and what's the best use cases. Vendors are right there with us. And so um, as, the market, as the industry kind of learns this is best practice, um, that might change in the future. But at this point, largely um, I recommend just turning it on WPA3 transition mode on your existing Edgerome 2.4 and 5 gigahertz networks. And that's that's a very easy, yeah. that's a single check ask. Yep. If, and I, I would assume if you do turn that on and there's issues, you're preempting any issue that's going to happen later when you turn 6 At least Correct. you'll help track down which clients are too old to even you know play that game. You've been great. You gave us a lot of great information here. Where would someone go to, one, find your documents and your experiments? Where would they go find that information? I have a website, a uh, blog on markhouts.com, M-A-R-K-H-O-U-T-Z.com, um, is where I've been largely writing all my stuff. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, on Twitter, I'm Mark Marco underscore with underscore I underscore K. Um, on Twitter, uh, kind of a mouthful. I made it like 12 years ago, so <laughs> I we'll, wasn't thinking about it We'll put them all in the show but. notes, make it much easier to read. <laughs> well, thanks for your time. Uh, you've been listening to Heavy Wireless with Keith Parsons. This is part of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network, and we'll look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thank you. <laughs>